0: Turn in your Bibles to Revelations chapter 2. We're going to continue talking about the seven churches tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about the church at Pergamos, starting in verse 12. Revelations chapter 2, verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, these things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, Will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it? So this church at Pergamos, you know, I don't, <clears throat> I don't claim to be any kind of a biblical scholar by any means, but I'm sure there was a reason why. Jesus spoke about these seven churches. You know, these weren't the only churches at the time. But these that he chose to to speak about, I think they had a special there was a special reason why he chose them. I think it's because they they had issues that can relate to even us today. And these issues that Pergamos had. You know, they we talked this morning about Uh, being an overcomer and enduring. Well, if you look at this scripture we just read, you'll see that Pergamos didn't have that problem. In fact, just the opposite. They had already endured a lot of trials and tribulations. And at the same time, you see there in, uh, let's say, I believe, verse 13, he said that, I know where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. That means they, they were they were living in the very you know, I don't I can't think of a good illustration, but you could say the pits of hell. They were living in in a very sinful place. The place where this church was uh was totally surrounded everywhere you look, there were people that worshipped idols and would sacrifice to idols. They worshipped other gods and they, the place was just covered up with it. Yet this one little church still endured and they, they held to the name of Jesus. Now what does that mean? It means they called themselves Christians openly. You know, that doesn't mean a whole lot today uh, from the world standpoint. When they hear the word Christian, they just think churchgoers. But to people at this time, the name Christ and the word Christian meant something, and it was a point of contention. It was a point where when you called yourself that, you better get ready because somebody was probably going to at least have something bad to say to you. And at worst, be out to kill you. Just for that name. So these people, living in the midst of of all of this uh, wickedness around them, were able to still hold fast to that name of Christian. They didn't deny the faith. And even uh, as I was doing a little research, I found that even as these people were being tried before the courts or uh, people, whatever, they would still openly confess to be Christians and, and would would try to preach about Jesus. So, you see, they didn't have the problem that that the prior church we talked about had. But they had a problem nonetheless. Jesus said, I have a few things against you. The problem at Pergamos was that they had allowed false doctrines to come into the church. Well, that's not something we have a problem with today, is it? No, it is. And you know, these false doctrines, I'm going to share another scripture with you in a minute, but these false doctrines, they had allowed these things to come in and if you do a little research and reading, you'll find out that uh, this Balaam and Balak, it was King Balak of Moab, he, he uh, was instructed by Balaam to put this stumbling block, as the scripture there refers to it, in front of the children of Israel. And what it was, was he was to entice the Israelite men with the most beautiful women they could find, and he would by doing this convince them to commit fornication with the women and also he would convince them to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols thus further defiling themselves and before you know it they would because of all of these these enticements and things that were they were being tempted with they would even go as far as to deny their god So you see, these are the kind of people that they had allowed to come into the church. Now, it didn't say that the church was teaching these things. It didn't say the church was committing these kind of acts. But the point is, is they allowed people that held to those doctrines to come into the church. And you know, it's our responsibility, not only me as a pastor, but... Uh, those that are in leadership of a church, and even those that aren't, to be on the lookout for these kind of people. Because when someone comes in and they're teaching something that does not line up with what the Word of God says, that that is just another way that Satan tries to divide the, his God's people. So we have to be on the lookout for those kind of people. Now, you know, the the reason why Jesus was condemning them for this was because they had allowed them to stay there. Because the opportunity was there for these people to bring division in His house. You know, you say, well, what could they have done? Well, they could have put them out. The minute they found out that this is what these people believed, obviously... Because Jesus was trying to chasten them for that, they knew about these people. It wasn't like a hidden thing. You know, my feeling is if somebody comes in and and they're willing to keep their mouth shut, I don't care if they're there or not. The minute they come in and start to try to disrupt things and, and... Teach things that don't line up with what the word of God says. Well, then we have a problem. But so obviously, these people weren't just sitting there quietly. They were. I don't know necessarily that they were teaching anything, but they were causing problems in the church. And these these people, the Christians at Pergamos, were tolerant of that. Tolerance can be a very bad thing, you know. <clears throat> the world would teach you that that we should all just be more tolerant of each other. And you know, to some extent, I agree with that. We need to be able, willing to overlook other people's faults and, and try to get along with them. But listen, when it comes to teaching doctrine and teaching what the Word of God says, there's some things I'm not going to tolerate when they, when they're contradictory to what God's Word is. It doesn't matter how how I feel about it. It's either right or wrong. And if you're teaching something that's wrong, I need to correct you on it to the best of my ability. But you know, there is uh, something that goes along with, with that. And then the re- only way that I can correct someone is if I know what the Word of God says. So I want you to see here what Jesus did and Just kind of a little side note, I've noticed that as I've been looking at these churches, if you'll look at the first verse of each of the different churches that he talks to, you'll see that the way Jesus refers to himself in each of these situations is a prelude to how he's going to deal with this church. You see that he says that these things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. Well, that's the Word of God. So you see, the only way to counter false doctrine and false teachers is with the Word of God. Because that is the one thing that we know to be true. That is the one thing that we build our foundations on. It's the Word of God. So if somebody's in there teaching something wrong, the only way you're going to know it's wrong is if you know the Word of God. If you base your life on the Word and you you examine what they're saying and it don't match up, there's a problem. And it needs to be addressed. You can't just let these things... Sit there and continue on and continue on and and before you know it, you've got a major problem on your hands because there's people following this belief that is not what the Word of God teaches. The church has a responsibility to ensure that the things going on in the church line up with the Word. Why is that so important? Is it for all those old-timers that have been in church all their life? And and no, no, it has nothing to do with that. What it has to do with is those new Christians. Those that aren't Christians yet. Jesus gave us a parable about the sower and the seed. And He talked about these seeds that were cast by the wayside and... They sprung up quickly because they didn't have good earth. And the sun killed them quickly. He's talking about those new baby Christians that they don't don't know anything. They don't have a clue what this thing is all about. All they know is that, that the Holy Spirit dealt with their heart and convicted them of that sin and they turned to Jesus and asked Jesus to come into their heart. That's all they know. They don't have anything yet to base anything on like a, a, a good piece of earth that you'd plant a seed in. That earth is not there. But it's the church's responsibility, and all of us here fall into that group, it's the church's responsibility to ensure that the things that are being taught in the church line up with the Word of God. Jesus didn't say here that I'm going to hold the pastor uh, solely responsible. No, he, He said the church. He's talking to the entire church. Jude chapter 1. Man, I'm going to tell you all right now, if you hadn't read Jude, it ain't but one chapter. Read it three or four times. That is, that's one of my favorite books of the Bible. Not because it's so short and easy to read, but because being as short as it is, it has a whole lot of meat in it. Jude chapter 1 verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see that there are people that will try to creep into your church that have no intentions of doing anything except bringing about division and causing problems and strife amongst the people that are there. Their whole intention is to come in and and teach things that are not right. You know, I think there's probably some people that may have good intentions, but because they... They don't understand the Word. And because they've allowed other parts of their life to fall outside of what God's plan is, they become corrupted by those things. And before you know it, those good intentions don't mean squat. Because they're still doing things that aren't correct. They need correcting. They need somebody to tell them that it doesn't matter what you think If what you think does not line up with God's Word, it's wrong. You know, that's a pretty simple principle. It doesn't take a whole lot of intelligence to figure out that if what you believe is not right, it's wrong. When you compare your beliefs to the Word of God, they better line up. Simple as that. The whole point of this message tonight, in my eyes anyway, maybe you got something else out of it, but the whole point of, of, of this thing tonight that I see is that we as a church and individual people need to make sure that we know enough of the Word to see these things. You know, the Scripture tells us to try every spirit. I had somebody tell me one time that they believed that the Holy Spirit had revealed certain things about the Scripture to them. And as they told me this stuff, it didn't line up with what I knew to be true in the Word of God. And I told them, look, you may think it was the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to tell you the Word says to try every spirit. And if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it ain't the Holy Spirit. It's simple as that. But see, the key is knowing what the word says. When somebody says something, you're like, "Wait a minute, that's not the way I read it." I ain't saying they gotta know it word for word. What I'm trying to tell you, though, is if they they say something and the the general meaning behind what they're saying is is not right, you won't know it unless you have read the word before. Unless you know how God feels about things, what his character is like. So we've got to be do our due diligence to, to seek out these things in the Word, to search them and, and to know them and understand them. You know, there's a lot of people that put emphasis And I'm not saying this is necessarily a bad thing, but there's all these little programs to try to read the Bible in a year and that kind of thing. Well, I'm going to tell you the problem with that. You get in a hurry trying to complete these number of chapters you need to read every night or or whatever it may be, and before long you're just reading to be reading. But what you need to be doing is is read you a chapter, and if you come to something you don't understand, spend a little time figuring out what it means. You see, quantity is not the same as quality. You can read a book of the Bible and not understand a thing you just read, or even remember a thing you just read. Have you all ever read a, a chapter of a book before and and all of a sudden you kind of come to your senses and realize you don't remember anything you just read. The words were coming in and going out just as quickly as they came in. So you see, just just reading is not good enough. Well, you may say, well, I have a hard time understanding the Bible. Well, that's fine. There ain't nothing wrong with that. There ain't nothing to be ashamed of but there's plenty of resources out there to help you understand. There's plenty of ways if you try hard enough, you ask some people for some help, you pray and and you, you really just sit there and try to devour that Word and understand what it means, understand what it was God was trying to say to you. There's ways to get that Word in your heart. Just reading it does not, does not plant... And fertilize and water. We've got to be diligent about our service for God. It's not, we, listen, I don't want y'all to just pay lip service to God. What do I mean by that? It's easy to just say, okay, God, I'm going I'm to read my Bible because it's my time to read the Bible today. I'm going to read the Bible every day. I'm going to read a little bit, you know. And then when you get done, you're like, okay, I did my duty. That's not what it's about. It's not about, you know, if you miss a date, and don't, don't worry about that. God ain't up there keeping, tr- keeping a record of, of the number of times you read and don't read. And this ain't a baseball game, keeping score. The point is, are you trying to understand the Word and and to seek out what it is God would have to tell you for that that day or that time? God ain't going to necessarily speak to you every time, but I'm telling you there has never been an occasion that I wasn't blessed by the Word that I had read. And it may not be that day. But there's going to come a time later when you're going to hear something. Something's going to speak to you and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is going to begin to speak to you in your spirit and tell you you're going to remember some Scripture you read. And it's going to bless you. But if you don't put it in there and understand what it is when you put it in there, it won't ever do anything for you. I don't know how we got all the way over there. But there's plenty of churches today that allow these false doctrines. They allow the world to come in and and try to make things more appealing and try to make things easier to bear and, and you know, well, this ain't. This don't hurt so bad because we seasoned it up real nice. Make it feel all warm and, and fuzzy inside. You know, the only things I ever read in the Word that are warm and fuzzy to me is when it's talking about how good God is and how great His mercy and grace is. When I hear those kind of things, yeah, I get all warm and fuzzy inside. It's like God's just hugging you up and loving on you. But there's a whole lot of other stuff in there that tells you about the other side of God where there's there's judgment, there's righteousness, things that are right and wrong and, and truthful that don't line up with what the world teaches you. They don't line up with what the carnal man would say feels good and sounds right. When we allow those kind of things to come into the church, We're slacking on our job. Verse 16, He says, Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly. I don't even want to hear the rest after that. I don't know what it is about that phrase. But when Jesus says, I will come unto thee quickly like that, it don't sound like a good thing. We'll fight against them with the sword of My mouth. So you see, there's times that churches have allowed false doctrines to come in and God has to send somebody with the Word. I've seen times that churches were asleep and someone would come and the Holy Spirit would speak through that person and deliver a message to the church. Trying to wake them up. And I've seen people just, okay. And they'd go home. They wouldn't respond. So you see what Jesus is saying here is that not only is He going to send the Word to counter this false doctrine, but only the ones that overcome, there in verse 17, are the ones that are going to receive the hidden manna. I'm going to tell you about this white stone real quick, and we're going to close. He says he will give him a white stone. This is the ones that overcome, those that, that uh, repent and change their ways, and, you know, for this particular church meant to get rid of those false doctrine. This white stone, you know, there was a time. Kind of like we have a jury today in a courtroom and everybody goes back and they they vote and determine is this man guilty or innocent. Well they would what they would do is they would place a white or black stone. White meant not guilty. So you see he's gonna give those people a white stone because they've been washed in the blood. They've been redeemed. Their sins have been forgiven. They're not guilty anymore. And that's the symbolism there, what that means.